0: Discover what you think a disciple is. God, we've all got our thoughts, our stereotypes, uh, what's accepted in this culture as being a disciple. But I just ask that you would speak to us this morning through your word and through your spirit and maybe redefine what it means to follow you, um, God. And we just ask for your grace to to hear from you and to respond to you and to take action on, on what you put on our hearts. And we just look to you this morning and ask you to be glorified. We just pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well so we'll um gonna start with a verse here. This is uh you can also use it as a infomercial for, uh, for the memory madness here. I don't know if you guys know, we've started a new season of memory madness. It's just, uh, uh, it's just what we call our memory program here, but it's just once you start memorizing, you get swept away in the craziness of it all. You understand the madness part of it. Um, but this, this season, this mission that we're on is going to be, a, it's a men versus women sort of mission. Uh, and so not to, not to be competitive, but this is going to be competitive. My, my family is now divided into two camps here, the men and the women. Um, But anyways, it's every verse that you do, you put a penny in the bucket that's out there. And so uh, at the end of this time, we're going to figure out who's put more pennies and memorize more verses. You know, the men, the godly men in this room, the men of God, or or the women of God in this room. And so, man, we need to step it up. Uh, don't know that my wife was telling me when they were doing the sign up list last week that it was almost all, entirely women had signed up for it and, and I just told her it's because I just asked them to by default put all the men down for this competition so uh, that's why there weren't many signed up uh, the other thing I would say man just as uh, a way of being shrewd and memorizing verses and working hard at it I'd encourage you to find old, old copper pennies you know real solid copper because uh, they weigh more than the, the new ones right so uh, just Keep that to yourself, so, though. anyway, <laughs> the memory verse for this week happens to be uh, this one right here. And uh, it's Matthew 28 19. And we'll start with verse 18. This is not required for your memory work here, but um, this is just a classic one. After the, the resurrection, after Jesus proved He had the authority to, to pay for our sin, that His substitute was accepted by God. After He proved that He could forgive sins and that He had power over life and death, He had one central message after the resurrection. And it's encapsulated well here in Matthew 28. It's also in, in each one of the Gospels and the book of Acts as well. But In this one, He says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority And really, this is where we get our, our vision from as a church. We decided, you know, Jesus gave a, a mission to the disciples for the first century church. We don't need to reinvent that. We do need to figure out some practical expressions of that. But really, those two words are the ones we're going to focus on here. Make disciples. You know, if you think about it, Jesus, when uh, everything was, you know, coming to a peak as far as his ministry here on earth before he ascended into heaven, he specifically gave this mission. And He could have chosen a lot of things. If you think about what He could have said at this point, He had His disciples. He's sending them out to go reach the world. And He could have said, make fill in the blank. There's a lot of good things we would probably fill in the blank with. Go make godly men. Go make godly women. Go make godly husbands. Christ-like husbands. Christ-like wives. Go make leaders. Go make church planters. Go make... Whatever it is. And what did he say? He could have even said, go make believers. All we need is a bunch of people to believe, get their ticket to heaven. But what did he say? Make disciples. Make disciples. And I believe, if we make disciples as he intended, you get godly men and godly women. You get church planters. You get more churches. You get leaders. You get pastors. If you make disciples, you get it all. And he didn't pick these words accidentally. But... You know, and so, in some ways, again, this series is about what does it mean to be a disciple and, and then to make disciples. And yet, before we get to those questions, this morning, it's going to focus on something that's probably even a... might even be a prerequisite to those questions. And the question is this. Do we even want to be disciples of Jesus? Do we even want to be... Before we go and respond to His commands to the disciples to go and make disciples, we've got to back up and go... Do I even want in this game? Do I even want in? Uh, do I want to be a disciple? And I think uh, that's what we're going to look at just this morning. We're going to have you tackle that question, maybe send you home wrestling with that question. We're going to look at some verses here that hopefully will cause you as much struggling and wrestling and consternation. I think that's the word. Um, and, you know, as I've had this last week, as I've been chewing on these things. And, um, one of the, the verses here we want to think about as well is this one when Jesus was speaking to some, some people who have come to believe in Him. You know, I think about recently here. Some people have come to place their faith in, in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, gotten baptized, want to follow Him. But imagine there's these people that have believed in Him, that He is the Christ, that He is the Savior. And they want to, um, you know, know what to do next. But He, he was speaking to them and He said this, To the Jews who had believed, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But he's saying, if if you're believers now, but the way you can truly be disciples of mine, I think the NAS renders really disciples as truly disciples, is uh, if you continue in my word, if you keep my teaching, here's the way to find out if you're really Jesus disciples. If you follow Jesus teachings, the Jesus of the Bible. There's a lot of people that would say they're Christians. There's a lot of people that would say they follow Jesus. There's a lot of different Jesuses out there. Um, but the one we're going to try to follow is is the one of the Bible here. We're going to look at some of the things that this Jesus said, some of the challenging things that this Jesus said, and then we must first answer the question, do I even want in? Do I even want to follow Jesus as his disciple as he defines it? And my guess is that one of the things that I've been wrestling with is that there's a lot of stereotypes of what a Christian is, what a disciple is. You know, the the word Christian is to refer to followers of Jesus in the New Testament is used roughly a handful of times depending on the translation you're reading. Some translations, Christian is used three times. The word disciple in referring to a follower of Christ is used In some uh, translations, up to 269 times. And there's this identity of being a disciple of Jesus that I'm afraid we've watered down. And when I look at what Jesus said, what the bar is for a disciple, and when I look at what we accept as being a disciple nowadays... I'm afraid we're missing the mark, and you know some of the reasons why is because of I think about the country that we live in. You know, we claim a lot of rights um, being in the United States citizen. You know, we've got the right, got the right to remain silent. That's always a good one. Um, we've, uh, that's probably not one of the top top first rights there. But uh, we've got the right, got the right to bear arms. We've got the right to. Um, or at a speedy trial. You've got the right to free speech. You know, I think it's always strange when you go, in this country, you give people the right to speak freely, even if it means cursing and speaking down and putting down the very country and constitution that gave them the right to free speech. It's ironic, but we've got the right to free speech. You've got the right to have, you know, we're a capitalistic society here. You've got the right to have hot french fries. If you pay for french fries, you should have hot ones. You've got the right to a hot cup of coffee. You've got the right to a cold pint of beer. You've got the right to all sorts of things here in the United States. But the problem is that when you look at the rights that Jesus said a disciple would have, you got way more rights as a U.S. citizen than Jesus ever promised his followers. I think about a friend of ours. Some of you have seen the emails. The guy, Mike Cater, has been a pastor in our association of churches, been doing missionary work in India. And he's now in prison. And we're praying for his release. But you know, Mike is in prison there and he doesn't have the right to bear arms there. He's not having the right for free speech over there. He's not having the right for a gluten-free menu over there. They're barely giving him enough to keep going, to keep alive. He doesn't have a lot of rights there. But you know what? in the, the readings I've seen of how, how he's tackling it all he's, he's still got a joy he's still encouraged over there and he's well within the rights Jesus promised his disciples you got the right to deny yourself you got the right to take up a cross you've got the right to follow me to your death and Mike I think he catches that the true identity of a disciple And we, we complain at what I complained that someone was in line the other day at the pizza place and they were getting their pizza before me and I called my order in come on I've got a right. I call. Why do you think I called in so I don't have to wait in line? We've got a right to have someone put their signal light on when they're getting on I-25, don't we? You should have signaled. We have the right to complain about that and not signal when we get off of I-25, right? we got all sorts of rights, and yes, uh, there's a problem because these two things, they don't converge, they diverge. You follow Jesus, you've got a lot less rights than you're entitled to in the United States of America. And, and that's, that's trouble. It causes us, you gotta do something. You either gotta redefine what it means to be a disciple and say, wow, it's a lot more like my lifestyle over here. Or we gotta maybe see that the different things we're claiming, even in this country, in this great state of Colorado, we, something's gotta give here. And I think God, you know, His Word would suggest it's It's probably our comforts, our conveniences, a lot of other things. But anyways, we got to decide. We want to follow this Jesus. You know, a few things that this Jesus had to say, that if you're thinking about maybe following Him, you know, He says some crazy things like this if this is the Jesus you want to be a disciple of, if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Is that the Jesus you signed up to follow? He said this, when you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye, uh, you don't pay attention to the plank in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take out that speck, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye. Then you can see clearly to help your brother. He says, uh, you know, I think about forgiveness. If you're going to go worship God, he says, leave your offering there at the altar, and first go be reconciled to your brother, and then come present your offering. You follow the Jesus that wants you to get right before you go follow in and worship Him. Uh, other places, the same Jesus says, I know your deeds, you uh, Christians in the United States of America, I know your deeds that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were hot or cold, but because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Literal translation, you make me want to vomit. That's what He says right there. You say I'm rich, I've become wealthy, I have need of nothing. And Jesus says, you make me want to vomit. And you call yourself my follower. We've got to decide which Jesus we want to follow here, folks. And it's uh, it might cause you to ruffle. It's caused me to ruffle. And so, um, anyways, let's look at a few things. These are some things I might just even call the prerequisites. There's a passage here in Luke um, 14 that there's a few things that he says, um, here's the deal. I don't know if it's going to click for me or not. Uh, can we scoot to the next slide if possible? There we go. And uh, there's a passage here, Luke 14. If you've got a Bible, you can look it up with me here. We're just going to look at three things he says about, you know, it's kind of an interesting little passage. He says, here's the deal. You cannot even be disciple. You can't even get started if you don't do these three things. And so, um, I don't know, how, to, how does that make you feel? You like someone tell you you don't even have the right to get started unless you do this? That really resonates with me. Um, I'm just joking. I don't want people telling me what to do either. Um, But anyways, it says this, uh, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Is that the Jesus you signed up to follow? The one who said, if your other relationships don't see my hatred in comparison to your love for him, you can't even be his disciple. He's not going to call you his disciple. Um, you know, I think about some of the things in this passage. He was talking to the large crowds. You know, sometimes you think, okay, let's get the elite disciple people together and let's tell them, let's rough them up, speak strongly to them. Jesus had crowds of people that were following him. Many of them were like curious. They're like, whoa, this dude is doing miracles. It's awesome. I kind of want to, thrill seekers, you know, I'm going to go check out this guy. It's pretty cool. And and yeah, he wasn't looking for thrill seekers. He took the crowds and he said things like this to them, and he he was trying to figure out who was the thrill seekers and who was those who would yield their will to him. Who were the curious and who were the serious? And and we've got to decide what are we? You know, you looking for a thrill? You looking for something's going on there? I want to go check it out. Do you want to lay down your will? to that of another to your master to your savior Jesus um, but this one he says you know sometimes people get offended at this this is one I've heard people go see there Jesus is right there he says hate hey, your mother your father your wife your children I can't believe that i I'm just I didn't want to hear any more of it I, you got it all right there and anyone who knows the Bible goes well if you look at that in context you look at Jesus' life you go well he didn't he didn't have any bitter hatred towards his mom, towards his siblings, his stepbrothers, or whatever, you know, and sister there. And uh, he didn't have any of that. You look at his life, he was loving, he was respectful. But I'll guarantee you, they knew their place with him as compared to his heavenly father. And, and we've got to realize that sometimes we, we can get all puffed up and, well, I don't want to follow the Jesus that says, I have to, you know, I can't love these people. Well, Matthew ten also phrases it a little, maybe more friendly for those of you that want to tone it down a little, which is fine. We don't have to hate them all. Um, but you know, he says, uh, if you don't love him more than your father and mother, and he goes through his list there again, that you're not worthy to be his disciple. And and there's a the, the spirit of it. It's a contrast, and really, I think it's the difference between loving loving your creator versus loving something in the creation. You know, every relationship that you have, you didn't come by it on your own. Every relationship you have has been given to you by your Creator. And so if you think about it, to love a relationship that He's given you in the creation more than the Creator Himself, well, that makes a lot of sense why He would expect you to love Him more than something in the creation. Your parents, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sister. You know, in some ways I think of it as a list of people who could get in the way of you following Jesus. I think the worst one of them all is the very last one that says there, yes, even your own life. You know, these people could get in your way. There's some of these who would prevent you from following Jesus. And you read the disciples, and some of them left people behind to follow Jesus. Some of you have left people behind to follow Jesus. But we've got to realize that um, if you want to be His disciple, you don't even step into the game unless your love for Him is in comparison. You know, for everybody else, it looks like hatred in comparison. And I don't know, are you willing? It will cost you every relationship you've got. If there's a relationship you're not willing to let go of to follow Jesus, you know you ought to look into a different Jesus. Somewhere else, someone the Jesus that's not in the Bible. Because this, this one is real serious about following Him with undivided devotion. Um, it will cost you everything. Um, let's um, You know, I think of how this played out in my own life. Um, I know when I first became a Christian... I uh, got to use some things actually relationships to get my attention. I had this girl that I thought I was going to marry and I thought, you know, this is the one and she broke broke up with me and it just sent me into this tailspin. Probably back then as probably was at 15 something years ago, but uh, I think I could have I could have probably got diagnosed with depression if I would have pursued it. I could have got some probably medication because it was just, it rocked my world. It was all that I could think about. It was physically, I felt a, a gnawing pain because this relationship that I thought uh, was going to be the one that I thought I was in control of, I realized I was not. And it sent me trying to figure out why am I here and what happens when I die. And eventually I realized... You know, I've sinned against my Creator, and I've called myself a Christian. that Jesus wouldn't have called me one, and I need to get right with Him. And eventually I did, but I also held on to this hope that maybe He'll give me this relationship with this girl back. Maybe I'll get her back once I'm a Christian, I've got God's blessing, and then I could pursue this. And and sure enough, the relationship started back up again, and and there was opportunity there. And eventually I realized... um, you know, she she kind of believed in God, you know, um, but she definitely did not believe in Jesus and had a lot of issues with Jesus. And I just remember going, "What do I do here?" I thought I wanted her back, and I and I really want to follow Jesus. And I remember a friend at the church who I was going to up in Fort Collins and some of you there. She had also become a Christian, had some relationship things she was working through. She moved in with one of the pastors up there, and I had moved in with another pastor in his family. But she was telling me what she was learning. She said, "You know." Uh, this pastor, some of you know him, John Meyer, he, he asked me, he said, you know, you got to ask yourself, is this relationship, is it God-centered or is it self-centered? And she said that really helped her to see what she should do in that relationship. And she shared that with me and I was like, is my relationship with this girl God-centered or self-centered? I'm like, well, duh, it's a no-brainer. It was completely self-centered. It wasn't God-centered. She didn't even like God, much less the God who showed himself under the name of Jesus. Um, and so it just became, I realized... That was not what God wanted me. And I, I, I remember having a conversation with her and saying, you know, this is not who I am anymore. And it was one of the last conversations I ever had with her. And uh, God led me into a different life. I remember all the roommates that I had I used to party with. And we got drunk in so many places in Fort Collins and other places. We used to come down to Denver, down to Larimer Square, back where some places that are no longer in business anymore here. But um, I realized when I began to have this crossroads between whether I followed Jesus or not, it affected my roommates. And they were starting to snicker about, oh, you know, he got baptized. He's a Jesus freak and stuff like that. And But eventually I realized that um, I had two choices. I could follow Jesus or I could stick with these guys and kind of keep in that world that I was doing with them. And I realized God wanted me to, you know, to take a different path. And I still loved them and reached out to them, but there were some serious choices. And, um, and I look back on that. And I think my life has never been the same because of some of those choices I made to follow Jesus early on. To choose Him, love Him more than anyone else in my life. And I, I don't know, some of you might be facing those choices. Some of you are newly following Christ or trying to. And you've got choices before you. You've got relationships that are going to stop you from following Him. You think you've got that special one that kind of believes in God and, and yet uh, maybe not Jesus or things like that. You've got to make some choices of what you're going to do here. Some of you have made those choices. I know some of your stories in this room. And if you're like me, those choices were 5 years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. And those were great choices, but guess what? You've got to decide today, this day, do you want to follow Jesus, this Jesus, this day and age? Uh, you made some choices back then, so did I. But I think he wants to know, are you still in today? Because there's still going to be some hard choices we got to think about this. Next thing he said here was, uh, Anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. You know, and um, carrying your cross, You know, just going to hit on this briefly here, but in general, the idea of carrying a cross, I don't know what it means to you. Um, some people wear crosses. Some people don't. My kids, you know, they always wonder, well, what is, they have a cross, so they must love God, right? And I'm like, you know, they call that bling, honey. I mean, you know, that's a... Uh, we're still figuring out some of this stuff, but, um, you know, the idea of a cross back then, t- today we put a cross in our church and things like that, but back then, a cross wasn't cool. A cross was like uh, the modern-day version of an electric chair. You know, could you imagine us having an electric chair sitting here? You go, this church is really strange. they got an electric chair. Um, they don't even use those much anymore, I think. It, you know, they have other things for it when it comes to the death sentence. But back then, this was the death sentence. You didn't get a cross unless you had done a heinous crime, and it was a shameful thing, and Jesus carried a cross like this to uh, to the place where he died. You know, and, and sometimes we can think a cross a cross as a glorious thing. You know, a cross is cool. Uh, I don't know what a cross means to you, but it, it didn't mean cool back then, and it, I don't think it's meant to mean cool today. And we've got to realize that when you've got a cross, so we've, on occasion we've taken this cross out there. Some of you might know this puppy is not light. This is a heavy thing. It takes about three to four guys. Two, depending on, on who they are. Um, no, just uh, With me, it's about five guys, five of me. Um, but, but anyways, when you get carrying this cross around this neighborhood, we've taken it out on 16th Street Mall. You know, people don't stop and applaud. Wow, wow, you must love Jesus. You know what people do? They start mocking you. They start saying mean things, cutting things to you. But when you got a cross, you kind of know where you stand. You know, it's usually, uh, you don't go, I, I love our neighborhood, I love, we've got great uh, beers, great bars, we've got the ale house down here, but, you know, you don't carry a cross like this into the ale house and ask for the latest, greatest quadruple Belgian, you know. Um, as fun as that would be, It kind of marks you a little bit. And we were going to try to get this out last night. I called a few guys. It was a little late, a little too spontaneous. But my hope is that we'll get carrying this out in the neighborhood again. But um, you you just get a sense of when you got one of these on your back. um, People don't say, wow, you're really cool. I, I kind of want to do that. Can I join in? Most people have a... It's a kind of a polarizing effect when you've got a cross. And the same is true. Jesus said, Hey, look, if you're going to take a cross, this world's going to look down on you. They're going to mock you. They're going to spit on you. They're going to beat you. They're going to persecute you. They'll probably even kill you if you take a cross like that. And we just have to, to realize that Jesus has called us. He said, You can't even be my disciple unless you're willing to take your cross. And... We had, you know, I had fun last night. We got out. Zach and I walked around the neighborhood, prayed a little bit. When we were done, I was like, okay, well, we'll, you know, we're praying that we'll create a culture Saturday night, Friday night. where we're out in this town, kind of represent the Jesus people. Um, But after we were done and and Zach was at home, there was a guy smoking right out in front of the door here. And, uh, you know, I went up and said, hey, how's it going? And he was real friendly. He said, hey, you know, how are you doing? And um, I think then he realized I was going into the church. And so he was smoking right there. And he kind of got a little, I was like, hey, I recognize you. He looked familiar to me. Um, you know, I'm one of those, if I recognize a face, if I remember your face, I'll remember it forever. And if I don't remember, then I, I'll never remember it, you know. But, but I remembered him. And I was like, you look familiar, do I know you? And he's like, uh, oh, you know, I do some political things. And I started thinking about it. I was racking my brain. I know him from Auraria Campus. And I know him from when our friend Tom Short gets out and preaches there. And I know this guy was one of those that was trying to make a mockery out of Tom Short. And this guy was out with signs. And he wrote these silly sayings down on a sign pointing at Tom Short who's preaching. And I remembered him. And I said, I remember you from Auraria Campus. My friend, Tom Short, Tom the Preacher. He's like, oh, Tom the Preacher. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I, I prayed for that guy afterwards. But I, I have a feeling he had a hard time going to bed at night without remembering what, how he treated Tom the Preacher there on campus. But I was blessed just to get out, step out in faith. We're hoping to do that more and more in our neighborhood here. But I don't know. Does it scare you? Would you be embarrassed to carry a cross around because someone's going to know you're like one of those Jesus freaks, huh? Would you be willing? Not, not that everyone has to do this, but uh, you know, even just getting baptized sometimes can identify you as one of those Jesus followers that you needed the crutch. You needed Jesus, right? Well, Jesus said you got to carry a cross if you're going to follow Him. And we need to realize there's just ramifications that the, the things the world would offer you, the money, what do we have here? The praise that the world would give you, the money that the world would give you, the authority, the position, the power, the acceptance that this world would offer you, they take it all back when they see you're trying to carry a cross and follow Jesus. They will take it all back. And not only will they take it back, they will give you the opposite of each one of those. Instead of praise, they'll, they'll mock you. They'll spit on you. They'll curse you. They will uh, make it a shameful thing. They will ridicule you. Eventually, Jesus said, you know, they will hate you like they hated me. We just have to realize it's a, it's a different calling than I think we, we realize sometimes. Uh, I think it's a different quote along this line. Um, you know, um. Thing uh, William MacDonald put it like this, that he wrote the book, um, True Discipleship, and, and he said this, he said, The Savior is not looking for men and women who will give their spare evenings to Him. Oh, that'd be nice. Or years of retirement. Rather, he's looking for those who will give Him first place in their lives. You know, sometimes we think, God, you know, I follow Jesus, and Jesus, here's your time, and you're a slice of the pie. Granted, it's a little slice of the pie, but you're in there. And Jesus says, hey, look, if I'm not first place, you know, he said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. He's not looking for people that make him a little slice of the pie. He wants to be the first priority in our lives. And sometimes things of this world take first priority. Our careers, our educations, our position, our money can be first priority. And Jesus said, not with me you know, take up this cross here. And we have to be careful. I was taught at a young age as a disciple, and they said, um, don't let your vocation determine your location. You know, if you've left relationships to join people who are serious about following Jesus, and your career has a, a, wants to take a turn or something like that, you know, don't let your vocation determine your location. If you're serious about following Jesus, and you've rocked and loaded with some brothers and sisters and disciples doing the same thing, you think Jesus would have you stick with them or follow and pursue your career? Seek first your career, and all these other things will be taken care of. We need to think about some of these because what comes naturally, what's common to do, is follow your career, follow your job. Everybody does that. What's uncommon is to to follow Christ and, and maybe sacrifice your career. I think about some of the first disciples that Jesus called. You know, um, Peter and Andrew. He said, um, you know, they were doing their fishing thing. You know, um, let's see, where's our they said, uh, you know, Jesus walking beside the Sea of Galilee. This is uh, Matthew 4. He saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net in the lake. They were fishermen. Come follow me, said Jesus, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. You know, I don't know a lot about the fishing industry and stuff back then, but my guess is they had in capital, made capital investments in their boats and their nets. It was their life. It was their career. And When Jesus called them, they walked. They left it. You know, I don't know if they, someone took them and put them on eBay or anything like that. It seems like they tried their hand at fishing later as well. Uh, James and John, again, Jesus called them. It says they were in a boat with their father's Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them. Immediately they left the boat and left their father and followed him. They left it. They walked. Do you think they had a significant investment there? I think it was probably the most significant investment they had in their lives. And they walked from it. They even left the family business behind, you know. They left Zebedee there going, I I was going to pass this business on to you. Um, But we need some things to rattle our thinking, man. When Jesus said, come follow me, deny yourself, your selfish ambitions, take up your cross, we got to wrestle with this. Uh, Another thing he said, you know, it goes on in the rest of this passage here, uh, Luke 14. You know, you can read this with fun if you want on your own time. Um, I'll just read to the end here. He's talking about counting the cost here. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost and see if he has enough money to complete it? if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose the king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is... Able with ten thousand men to oppose one coming against him with twenty thousand. If he is not able, he'll send a delegation, while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Men and women, it's just a—it's a, such a high bar, and I think we need to think about this. I know for me, when when I, it'll cost you everything. You know, what's the cost of following Jesus? All your relationships got to take their place. Your career, everything's got to take its place behind Jesus. Anything that would prevent you from following Jesus. I don't know what idols are in your life. What, what would prevent you? Um, but you got to go wrestle with that and decide if you'd be willing to leave that behind to follow this Jesus. I know for me, when I first was a Christian, I had a few things that I, I felt like were keeping me, um, you know, I don't know, that were on my heart. But one of the things that, I, I used to be a big music fan, I guess I still like music nowadays, but back then I was really big into U2, uh, any, some of you don't even know who U2 is, anyone U2, you know, uh, they, uh, you know I was back like when they were, you know, uh, Joshua Tree Days or even before that, I don't know if some of you ever heard of October, um, it was back when like they actually had Christian roots, you know, some of you might know that, but, but I was really into U2 and I had the U2 hats and I went to U2 concert down in El Paso and I had Bono bucks that they, they shot out into the crowd. The concert. I was. I liked U two a lot, and and you know, U two is not exactly a devil worshipping band. They're not. You know, we're, they're not doing any of that stuff there. But uh, but I knew that they had my heart. They had my attention, and I had an identity with U two. And eventually, I just sensed. You know what? You, you're into these guys too much, and you want to follow Jesus. And I felt like God wanted me to take my CD collection and destroy it, and as an act of worship, go. You know, Lord, this is yours. This is not. The songs, when I sang them, they were about me, they were about this world, they were about things that I knew they weren't about my Savior. And it did not resonate with the new spirit He'd given me. And I took them and I destroyed them. And I destroyed a lot of my music. I had some Pink Floyd stuff and I had some other things that you probably never heard of. But um, I got rid of them all as an act of worship because I knew I couldn't have both. I can't worship my Savior and worship this other crap at the same time. And I got rid of one of them. And I think you and I need to do that again. Have you ever done that? Have you ever had a Spring cleaning, And maybe you have. I have too, 17 years ago. And it might be time to do some spring cleaning again. And some of you men and women, it might be time to look at your playlist and go, Can I do both? Can I sing this crap of the world and worship the Jesus Christ who died on the cross for my sins? Can I do both? You can. But don't confuse that with calling yourself a disciple of this guy, Jesus Christ. You know, we've got to wrestle with this, men and women. And we're, we're, we live in a culture that says, hey, don't rock the boat. You can be a Christian. You can love this and you can love that. Don't rock the boat. Don't get extreme. You're not going to be relevant to the people around you anymore. I think Jesus is sick and tired of people who are relevant and not making a difference in this world. Men and women, are we ready for this? It scares me and it excites me. But but I don't know, do you want to be known as the Jesus people in this neighborhood? Because things are probably going to have to change. And, you know, things are probably going to get a little exciting in a good way, in a bad way. I don't know. but. Um but I think this is what God has for us and I hope you're in and some of you might go hey whoa I'm just visiting this morning I'll catch you later <laughs> come back next week we'll not be quiet as in your face but, um, but today is do you even want to be a disciple and you came and God's sovereign and you're here and I hope to see you again but, but this is what we want to be about and we all got to ante up again maybe you were a disciple in college I know for me when I was single and I, you know, I didn't have many responsibilities it was just me and my engineering job and a great paycheck and, you know, following Jesus looked different than it does now with uh, with a wife and with five kids and with a mortgage and, and things have changed, you know, but um but I think Jesus wants me to reevaluate what well, is there things that are in my life more important, bigger priorities than they should be as a follower of Jesus. I encourage you to join me in, in search it out again here. You know, I love this verse here. Why would anyone get crazy and be a disciple? Well, here's a few reasons we're going to close with here. One is because if you really get it, He's paid the price for you. He paid the price, the penalty, the eternal penalty that you and I deserve. This one, I love this verse. um, It's from the Living Bible. But it says, if you insist on saving your life, you will lose it. Only those who throw away their lives for my sake and for the sake of the good news will ever know what it means to really live. Men and women, this world will think you're throwing your life away if you get serious about following Jesus. I know when I left my job at Hewlett-Packard, it was a great paying software engineering job, and I had a buddy that sat me down one of my last days at work, and he said... Rich, he's a a Christian and he went to the same school and and stuff like that as I had. But he sat me down and said, I think you're making the wrong choice here. You could be a Christian. You can earn a lot of money. You can give to a lot of people. I think you're throwing it away when you're going to go. And I was leaving my job so that I could go ask people for monthly gifts so that I could be on staff for the campus group that didn't have enough money to support a guy like me. And and I left it behind and, and yet he was saying hey you can have both you can have both and, I, and Jesus didn't call me to have both he called me to leave that behind but there's a life when you catch it when you catch a life he says uh, this is what it's like to, to live this is what true life is and you've got to lose your life in this world if you want to know true life or you can keep your life in this world all the kudos this world will give you everything your flesh wants uh, you've got two choices but one of them he calls life true life and, and that's um, I think one of the greatest reasons we have to follow Him. I think about some songs, some old psalms that um, talk about things like this. Uh, there's one uh, by Isaac let And see if we've got this. Um, it's the one that's uh, how is that one? It's Oh, the wonderful cross. I'm getting quotes here on the wonderful cross. Oh. oh, oh. You know, this is what he says here, and I feel the same way. Maybe you do, but he says uh, in this line from the Wonderful Cross, Isaac Watts of the 18th century, he said, um, "...where the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all." Think about another hymn, um, "...Jesus paid it all, and all to Him I owe." Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Men and women, our reason for following this, Jesus becoming like Him, being His disciple, comes back to the Gospel again. He paid it all. His love is so amazing. It's so divine. It demands our life, our soul, our all. And, and that's a proper response to being a disciple. We've got That's why we started this whole series off with the gospel. You've got to catch the heart of the gospel before you'll be envisioned to follow as a disciple. And if you haven't caught the heart of the gospel, you, you need to back it up. You need to get to some of these old hymns and sing, Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe. You know, it it will fire you up again for for then making some of these hard choices to deny yourself, to take up your cross, to follow Him. We've got to have that. It's one of our our number one reasons here. Um, You know, He also He he promised us. You know, He's He's given us the power to overcome sin and death. He's promised us a full life. You know, Jesus said this: "The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full." Another verse there, He says. um, Jesus looked at them. He said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. You know, he was explaining this in the context of salvation. Getting saved is impossible with man. We cannot pay an eternal punishment without spending eternity in hell paying for it. And Jesus paid that for us. His death provided a substitute for our death. But you know, the same thing is true when it comes to being a disciple. His life provides the life that we need. To to be his disciple, to live that out. He's got everything that we need. He's promised us a full life, you know. And sometimes the problem is, I think as Christians we go. I'm a Christian. I go to church on Sunday. I, I'm a really crazy Christian. I even go Wednesday nights. Um, and and yet we think the full life means and I go Wednesdays and Sundays and I, I drink a little extra here and I smoke a little something over here and I pop a little something over there and I'm covered by grace and it's such a full and exciting life. It's so exciting. That's not what Jesus was talking about. Jesus was talking about denying yourself and living so sacrificially that you experience and taste a life that beer can't help you find and that drugs can't help you find. There's a life that is not about stretching grace and saying, oh, it's grace, I'm covered, I can do that. That's the full life. No, that's not the full life. He's got a life for us that's different than anything you've ever tasted. And when you get a taste of it, and some of you have, and maybe in the past, maybe recently, so you want more. You just want more when you taste it. And, and I want more. It's time to get more of this full life that he promised. Another reason why to be His disciple is because he's, he's secured eternal life for those who believe in him. Your, your eternity is squared away. You know, and not only that, uh, he's going to reward those who will live for him. I love this in, the I think it's the Message Bible here that says, uh, Revelations 22, 12. Yes, I'm on my way. You know, he says, I'm coming soon. I'm bringing my payroll with me and I'll pay all the people in full for their life's work. You know, every step, every choice of love, of faith, of sacrifice, of obedience that you make, you will be rewarded for an eternity. It will be reflected in eternity forever. Every choice that you make in following Jesus and being His disciple will be reflected in eternity. and. Um, and he secured our eternal relationship with him. And we've got a lot of reasons why, why we would want to respond to him with our lives and be his disciples. And um, I'm going to close on this one. I think about how Jesus was talking uh, to, his, again, the crowds. And at some point they turned back on him. Some people, some, some supposed disciples said, you know, whoa, he's way overstepped his lines here. These, these things on, you know, all the things about following this Jesus guy. You know, it's not fun anymore. It's, it's not what I signed up for. And they turned back. And I think it's a little bit ironic that it would be John chapter 6, verse 66, um, where it says, From this time many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And this is what he said to his disciples. You do not want to leave me too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know You are the Holy One of God. And men and women, that question is to you. Do you still want to follow Jesus? A lot of people are turning back. I don't know that we're gaining momentum. Hopefully we are. Hopefully we're reaching more. But there's no guarantee that we're gaining momentum in this world. But He wants to know, do you want to still follow Him? And I hope your heart and your spirit is like mine. It resonates with what Peter said here. Lord, who would we go to? Who else will we go to? Who else paid for our sins? Who else can give us a full life? Who else has secured eternal life and given us all the proof that we need? Lord, who else will we go to? And I want you to think about that question. I'm going to close with a story here that's um, from a book called Jesus Freaks. Uh, some of you might have read it. I think it's a DC talk. Put it out um, back in the day. Sir. But it just contains stories of Jesus followers, of disciples who who were martyred, who lost their lives for following Jesus. You know, it may never come to that in our country that we lose our lives. In some ways, I feel like it would be a little easier to follow Jesus if it was more polarized because either you take a stand with Jesus and and you die or something or you don't. But we've got offered this situation where you can be cool. You can be a cool Christian still. Somehow Jesus missed out on being cool. He rocked the boat. People didn't like him. He must have missed it but we figured it out. I can be cool and I can be a Christian and and I don't have to rock the boat. Um, we have—I think one of the problems is uh, we live in, in arguably the greatest country that has ever been on the planet, and the greatest culture, that, you know, financially and other ways. Um, we have the great state of Colorado we live in. You know, hoorah, It's awesome. We unfortunately—it's it's got pros and cons here. We live in the microbrew capital of the country. And I get an amen. Amen. I, don't get me wrong. I, I like a good microbrew. I made my first batch uh, recently. I, I say I made it. A couple guys helped me. And it's, it's not bad. It's not good, but it's not bad. Um, but, um, but you know, but it's, it's kind of this catch-22. We live in Colorado. And microbrews, it's the capital of the world. We, we, we make these amazing beers, and it's awesome. And we live in this cool state, and we've got this cool neighborhood that's in the top 20 hipster neighborhood. In the country, is that not cool? Um, I still got to get some skinny jeans, man. Uh, just, uh, I just—I don't know if I can do it, but I got to take up my cross, and it might include skinny jeans. I don't know. But, um, but so we got this whole thing where we live in this great place, and we've got these great beers, and we've got marijuana's legal somehow in, in Colorado. It's not legal to buy or to sell, but it's legal to smoke. So I don't know, they're still they're still working out the nuances of that. But uh but anyways here we are. We've got a Jesus who says, You can't be my disciple if you don't hate everyone in comparison. You can't be my disciple unless you've got a cross. You can't be my disciple unless you Contempt on everything that would stop you, and at the same time, we're here in this amazing state of Colorado with the mountains and the beer and the great coffee. They're roasting some good coffee around this joint too. And uh, we, we've got a, I just feel like I'm wrestling with this. This is as I look at this whole series on what it is to be a disciple. This is the one that has intimidated me the most because I'm wrestling. I'm going, Lord, I want to be your disciple. I want this, but there's so many things that that are drawing my attention that are vying for my heart. And I hope you're wrestling too, because if you're not wrestling with this, I mean, you're not even in the game. And if you are wrestling, I hope you win the fight. These are what Jesus said here, and I've got to go wrestle with this, and so do you. You've got to go get with God and get with His Word, and you decide. You're going to still follow Him. I read this story here. I try not to have tears as I read it. I think about my own family and how it would play out here. But uh, this is from the 1970s, about a family in a communist-controlled Cambodia. And the title of the story from the Jesus, Freak, Jesus Freak's book here is called A Die With Us. It's about this guy named Haim. I think is how you pronounce it. but it, uh, It's Haim and his family in Cambodia. During the night, Haim and his whole family comforted each other. They knew they only had a few more hours to live on this earth. The Cambodian communist soldiers had tied them all together and forced them to lie down on the grass. Earlier that day, Haim's whole family had been rounded up for execution because, all, because uh, they were Christians and the communists considered them bad blood, enemies of the glorious revolution. In the morning, they were made to dig their own graves. Their killers were generous. They allowed the victims a moment of prayer to prepare themselves for death. The parents and children hand, held hands and knelt together near the open grave. After the family finished their prayers, Hayim exhorted the communists and all those looking on to repent and receive Jesus as Savior. Suddenly one of Haim's young sons left to his feet and bolted to the nearby forest and disappeared. Haim was amazingly cool as he persuaded the soldiers not to chase the boy, but to allow him to call the boy back. While the family knelt, the father pleaded with his son to return and die with them. Think, my son, he shouted, can stealing a few more days of life as a fugitive in that forest compare to joining your family here around a grave, but soon free forever in paradise? Weeping, the boy walked back. I even said to the executioners, we are ready to go. But none of the soldiers would kill them. Finally, an officer who had not witnessed the scene came and shot the Christians. I just want to ask you guys, would you consider counting the cost of following Jesus this week? Will you pray about joining us in the firehouse church and, and laying down our lives to reach this world with Jesus? Will you pray about... Join us to come and die with us as we follow Christ. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, we do, uh, we do just look to you. God, I just pray you'd help each one of us to, to get honest with the things that are going on in our lives and our hearts to get honest about whether You would really call us Your disciple or not. Lord, I thank You that You are our Savior. and Those who believe in You are saved and sealed for eternity, and yet following You and becoming like You is a different way of life. God, I pray that You would give us everything that we need to do that. And with men, it is impossible. But with you, this this life is possible. And I ask that you help us capture our hearts. Help us to win the wrestling over our flesh and this world and the devil. And help us just to give our lives to you as a thank offering because you did pay it all for us. And uh, you have everything we need for a full life and you've secured eternal life for us. God, I pray you'd make us a church full of your disciples. Help us to be the Jesus people in this neighborhood. We just pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys for coming this morning and hopefully we'll see you next week. All right.